0: Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We have left our homes to come to this house, to this place, this gathering of believers. We come this morning, Lord, to worship you in spirit. We come to worship you in truth. We come to quiet our hearts and to think upon the things of the Lord Yeshua Messiah, you are the greatest rabbi of all, and you live, and we welcome you to walk in our midst this morning. We take our place as disciples, as students, as learners from you. Yeshua, would you send your Holy Spirit upon us today that we might freely understand the things that's been given to us this day. And Lord, we pray for the individual behind this pulpit this day, that this person would be filled with your Holy Spirit, would speak clearly and without error, and that this would be done only for the kingdom of God and no other kingdom. This we pray in Yeshua's name, amen. You all may be seated. As Dana shared with you, my name is Frank. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here at Woodbridge. I'm um, I'm a reformed atheist who became a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in my early twenties. I am a man who has dedicated my life to following a Jewish rabbi. I'm a messianic Gentile <laughs> who loves the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Yeshua the Messiah. Uh, Larry Feldman is amazing, and you all are so blessed to have him as your rabbi at this congregation. Uh, Larry just came and spoke for us a few weeks ago. We, we've been doing a series on Sunday mornings here called What's the Difference, and we've been looking at the New Testament gospel of Yeshua and comparing that to different religions and religious thoughts. And so we went through, and we've been going through Galatians, we're having a blast. We went, uh, we went, we studied what's the difference between the New Testament gospel and Islam. What's the New Testament gospel and Mormonism? What's the difference between the New Testament gospel and religious traditions? And we had Larry come in and speak. Well, what is the difference between the New Testament gospel of Yeshua and modern day Judaism? And all I can tell you is he just hit the ball out of the park. He's so amazing. I I absolutely love Larry. He is an amazing teacher, gifted beyond belief. And um, we're so proud that those banners are true, that we are partnering um, with Shuva in reaching our city with the gospel. So we truly are one people and one family, and by the way, when we all are in the kingdom together, we're just one, aren't we? So it's pretty fun. Larry's in Israel. I'm going to be in Israel on April the 1st, so um, leading a trip to the Holy Land as well, and... um, If you haven't had a chance to go, you need to go because it's amazing. That's all I can say. All right, let's talk about this morning. You ready? Here we go. Question for you this morning. Time for a little self-evaluation. Are you a patient person? On a scale of one to ten, ten being the best and one being the worst, what number would you give yourself as a patient person? Now, let me, let me just read for you. You ready? This is the Webster's Dictionary that speaks of patience. Patience is the ability to wait for a long time without becoming annoyed or upset. The ability to remain calm and not become annoyed when dealing with problems or with difficult people. Let me ask you this question again. Are you a a patient person? What number would you give yourself? Here's a a fun one. What number do you think your family members would give you? (laughs) Or your neighbors? Or your work associates? Would they give you a higher number than you would give yourself for patients? Or a lower number? Now let me ask you this. And I'm assuming something this morning. I'm assuming that most of you in here have read Yeshua. I'm assuming that most of you this morning have studied the life and the ministry of Yeshua. Let me ask you this. Do you think Yeshua was and is a patient person? On yes. uh, uh, what scale would you give Yeshua as a patient being? What do you think? Scale one to ten. One being worse, ten being best. Now, now obviously, we read in the scriptures that to be filled with the Holy Spirit, so when the Spirit of God comes and dwells within all of us, the fruits of the Spirit is what? Patience. And Yeshua being filled with the Holy Spirit at baptism, right? The Jordan River. Yeshua is an incredibly patient being. But can you think of times when Yeshua's patience ran just a wee bit thin? When? When? Do you think uh, the Monday before his death, when he, gra- he went into the temple and he grabbed the table that had the cash on it, and what does he do? Flips it in the air, right? Throws the money all over the place and he says, it is written, right? The house of the Lord shall be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of robbers. What you say his patience, just got a little thin that day, right? Or the next day. See, he goes back the next day. And the religious leaders of the day have got to shut this dude down. And so they try to trap him. And that's the day of great testing. And at one point, Yeshua says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you actors. You actors. Actually, it's a great text. Maybe we should read it because... (laughs) If there's ever a time I remember when I first read this, I'm like, wow, I think he's angry. In Matthew twenty-three, thirteen through fifteen, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Because you devour widows' houses for a pretense, you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one a proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Would you say Yeshua's patience ran a little thin? Do you think, okay, picture this. Do you sense emotion in that? Do you think he might have maybe been yelling as he said that? Is it possible that Yeshua's veins maybe started coming out of his neck? Do you see him just being all kind about this? Hey, woe to you, scribes. I sense passion, intensity, anger. Would you say that his patience had run a wee bit thin there? And since Yeshua is the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form, if he's he's a, he and the Father are one, if you want to see the Father, you see me, then by looking at Yeshua's life, we can see who God is. Would you say that God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is a patient God answer? Yes. Absolutely, right? But was there ever times when we read in the Torah or the Hoth Torah when the God of Israel... Patience ran thin? Can you think of any? When? When? All right. Can you think of one? Raise your hand. All right. Can you guys think of two? Keep your hand if you can think. Can you think of three times when the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob just got his patience ran thin? Can you think of three? How about five? Can you think of five times when you might have been a little upset? How about this one? Do you think Pharaoh would agree that there was a time in Pharaoh's life when the God of Israel's patience ran thin with Pharaoh? Anyone? Right? Let my people go. No plagues. You know, the Lord brings his people out of Egypt into the Sinai Peninsula. And was that a great relationship? The moment God brings them out of slavery, they complain in the wilderness. He makes a covenant with them and all through the Old Testament, all through the Torah, all through the Haftorah, you see God sending prophets. We read through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, through Judges, through 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, all through the prophets, God dealing with his people. Stay right with me and you'll be fine. And all through it, God is just dealing in patience With the people of Israel. Am I right? He sends his prophets to judge them. The whole Old Testament is God teetering with his holy righteous judgment and patience with his people. His holy righteous judgment and his patience with his people. Trying to get them to walk with him. Noah. Would you say that? God's patience ran a bit thin with Noah, certainly in the days of Noah. I think probably one of the best examples of God teetering between his holy righteous judgment and his patience is this place down in the Dead Sea called Sodom and Gomorrah. You ever read the story, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about Sodom and Gomorrah this morning. Before we do, let me... Take us back to the scriptures that we've been looking at in the very beginning as we read. 2 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter is writing, and he's saying that there are people in the days of Peter that are mocking the idea of God's judgment on the earth, they're mocking the idea of Messiah coming to the earth. And when you read Second Peter, you'll see this teetering between the holy, righteous judgment of Almighty God and the patience of God. It's like a balancing act. Now, let me read these again, and you don't t- tell me if you don't see this balancing act take place. You ready? Here it comes. Above all, you must understand, Peter says, that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these also, the the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, right? That's Noah. By the same word, By the same word, the word of God, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly, right? Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is what? He is patient? Why? He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But, Peter says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Do you see the balancing act in that scripture right there? You see the patience of the Lord God Almighty, and yet you see his holy righteous judgment is coming. It's not if, it's just when. Do you get that? Do you see this? There's a balancing act happening. And what is the Lord God Almighty's patience for? What is he patient about? What does he want? He wants mankind to repent, right? He is patient for the redemption of mankind. He is patient for the redemption of mankind. When you were a kid, did you ever play on a teeter-totter? Do you remember those? I think I got a picture up here. I thought it was kind of fun. When I was a kid, I remember with my brother, we would jump up and down on teeter-hotters. We'd jump up, we'd jump down. Do you got that picture? Maybe, maybe not. Teeter totters. When I think about this topic, I see the teeter tottering of two attributes of God his holy, righteous judgment and his love. And you'll watch as you read through the scriptures this balancing act that that the Lord God Almighty has with his heart's desire for people's salvation, for the redemption of mankind. And the whole time, there's this teetering act between there are times when God says, I just can't deal with this anymore. This, this has to be dealt with. It's judgment. God has been patient for 2,000 years since these scriptures are written. Does, does God get high marks for patience? Yeah, I, I'd give him high marks, wouldn't you? But in the text, Peter says that though the Almighty is patience, someday, people, the Lord's patience is going to run thin. And he's going to come again. People, his coming is coming. Would you all please say that with me? Ready? One, two, three. His coming is coming. Is that true? It is true. His coming is coming. In the New Testament, one verse in 25. Want to take notes on this? Just take notes on this. You ready? I think you got those in you. You can take notes on this. Go out to lunch and talk about this today. Take notes on this. You ready? In the New Testament, one verse in 25 deals with the Lord's return, with Messiah's return. Something just to take note of. Note number two, the Lord's coming is mentioned 318 times in 260 chapters. Of the 27 books of the New Testament, the second coming of Yeshua is mentioned in all of them but four. All the early creeds of the church, of the believers, speaks of Yeshua's return. His coming is coming, people. His coming is coming. I want to tell you right now today, there's a balancing act going on in heaven right now between the patience of God and His desire for the redemption of humanity and His holiness and His righteousness. And one day, at some point, he's going to just have to judge the world. Think about it. For 2,000 years, the Lord God Almighty has been patient through wars, through slavery, through the sex trade. He's been patient when people using his name as a cuss word. The Lord has been patient with wholesale slaughter in places like Dachau and Auschwitz. And you have to wonder, when is he coming back? When is he going to be done? He is coming back. The only thing that keeps him from coming back today is there are still people coming to his son It's the only thing that's holding him back. It's the only thing that's been holding him back for 2,000 years. The evil of the world. I was in Romania years ago. I became a believer, began following the Lord. I found myself in the 1990s in Romania. The Iron Curtain at that time had just fallen. And we went in there, man, it was great. We were eight weeks in Romania. We we passed out um, 15,000 tracts and 5,000 Bibles. To a country that had been illegal to even own scriptures for years. I wish I, I mean, we had, when, when we were, at that time, the, the Bible was $1,000 in the black market if you can get one, and we're handing them to people. Actually, I kid you not, they had our van up on two wheels as they were rocking our van trying to get to this, the Bibles that was in our van. It was awesome. We went to this city called Timi and it was more of a younger it was on the Black Sea um, and it was kind of a younger crowd there was kind of an intellectual crowd and we were out there street witnessing we were telling people in Romania about Yeshua and there's this young man that was given uh, my friend Steve a hard time and he was saying well if there is a God then this God needs to be on put on trial for all the evil all the suffering that's happened in this world. If there is a God, he says, then this God needs to be put on trial for all that's happened, all that he's allowed to happen in this earth. You've met these people? That used to be an argument of mine as an atheist. I don't understand. I was talking to this young man. I said, you know, bro, (laughs) I come from a country at the time where we pay our farmers not to grow food. I go, yeah, there are 50,000 children dying today in Africa because of starvation. I said, but in America, we, we're paying our farmers not to grow fruit. I go, is that God's fault or man's? Was my answer to him, my question to him. And he looked at me, and he looked out toward the sky, and he goes, huh, I've never thought of that before. All the problems that are on the earth right now are not his fault, they're yours and mine. God has been patient allowing evil to happen on the earth because he's waiting for redemption of man. When God looks down on the earth, he sees all of the garbage. All the evil that's here right now is not from him, people, it's from us. And he's in the process of transforming people When I was a kid in high school, I used to ride in the back of police cars in handcuffs. I'm now a a police chaplain with the Irvine Police Department. And now I ride in the front seat (laughs) of police cars. You want to know what happened? I was transformed. You want to know who did that? Yeshua did that to me. God is in the process of transforming people. And He's patient, waiting for people to come to His Son to transform us. But God is either going to do two things with evil. He's either going to transform it or He's going to terminate it. And those are in the baptisms. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit or fire. Either way, God will deal with evil in the earth. But He's patient, wanting only us to come through the transformation of evil through the Holy Spirit that dwells in, the, in us through the gospel. Do I hear an Amen you understand? For believers, for you and I in this room, the coming of Yeshua is a glorious thought, a time of hope and rejoicing. The last words of the book that Larry's reading says this. In Revelation 22.20, says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Yeshua. The believers say, Come, Lord. Amen. Right? But there's a sober side to Yeshua's coming as well, friends. For it also means the beginning of Messiah's judgment on the earth as he calls people and nations to accountability. The day that, that the, the mighty hand or the, 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 the teetering that God does brings his son back, all of us in here that have believed in Yeshua are going, Amen! But all of the people on the earth, they ain't saying amen. Because at that time comes a day of judgment. When God begins dealing and bringing accountability to all people on the earth. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the Athenians in Acts 17, verses 31. He says, for he, for God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he is appointed he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead now people that's a sobering thought that's a fact that one day, one day god is going to judge the world and all in it past present and future right and we will all answer for what we have done and we shall all be judged either on the basis of our own righteousness, which, and by the way, you're toast, or you'll be judged upon the righteousness of the one who came and hung on a cross for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That's a great transaction, by the way. I'm sin, he's righteous, he who knew no sin becomes my sin, that I become his righteousness. Someday, God is going to judge and bring into account. It's the day of just him saying, I'm done, basically. And all mankind will be judged on your righteousness or on the righteousness of the Almighty who hung for you, right? For those that push aside the Son of the Almighty, the coming of Messiah, friends, is a sober thought. I want to say that again. For those that push aside Messiah, I don't need Messiah in my life. I'm a good person. I don't need... Someone to redeem me of my evil within me. I'll do good deeds. How good is good enough? Okay, here's the deal. All religions work their way to God. Through moral effort, through good works, I'm going to work my way to God. You got it? All religions are... Islam, five pillars of Islam, work your way to God. Mormonism, I'm going to become a good Mormon and work my way up that one day I'll become a God myself. As man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. Jehovah Witnesses, I'm going to work my way up. I can't be one of the 144,000, but I can work my way to be here with God in the everlasting. So I'm going to be a good Mormon or good Jehovah Witness, everything I need to do. Judaism, right? Through good works, prayers, and charity. I work my way to be a good person. How good do you have to be? Yeshua says you need to be perfect. Good people don't go to heaven according to Yeshua. Perfect people do. Do you know any? For everyone else, it's the gospel. That God, in his love and mercy and grace, has worked his way to you. It's totally different. The New Testament gospel of Yeshua is so different than any other religion on the planet today. All trying to work their way through their own moral efforts. Which brings fear or pride. Because I'm a good person. He came because you don't stand a chance. Do you understand? This is the good news of the gospel. God came to earth and did the work for you on the cross died for your sins, paid your debt. And his righteousness, he now imputes it to you. That's a beautiful word. Or be perfect, his Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect. Unless your righteousness passes out of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you will not even enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. The most religious people see him over there. You need to pass them or you don't stand a chance. Do you think that got some eyebrows? How about Oh yeah, by the way, just be perfect. What? He's setting them up. Because this is the standards. He's a holy, righteous God. Do not forget this one thing, Peter says. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But, He says, the day of the Lord will come. His coming is coming, people. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. People, this is serious stuff. It's a serious time as God's balancing act falls to his holy righteous judgment. The word, there's a phrase in the Bible called the day of the Lord and you need to really study it if you haven't had the opportunity to because it's a specific set of words and you can take notes on this, you can have fun with this. The day of the Lord, the phrase the day of the Lord is found 14 times in the Torah, and the Haftorah Torah, in the Old Testament and it's found five times in the New. The day of the Lord, 14 times in the Old Testament, five times in the New. You got it? The day of the Lord, what is it? It's an extended period of time of God's judgment on the earth. Larry's teaching through it right now in Revelation. What is the day of the Lord? It's an extended period of time of God's judgment on the earth, beginning with the tribulation and including the events of the second coming of Messiah. It's a time of judgment. The day of the Lord is a time, it's a unit of time of judgment. Listen to Ezekiel. Thirty, Verse 3. For the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. A day of clouds. A time of doom for the nations. Sound like a happy time? Isaiah. The great prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 13.6. Wail. Cry. Weep. Why? For the day of the Lord is near. It will come. Like destruction from the Almighty. It's a time in the future, people, when God's incredible patience runs out and He, in His holiness, in His righteousness, just can't let this go on any longer. Now, check this out. Now, I think this is beautiful. In a few weeks, I'll be in Nazareth myself. Yeshua goes to Nazareth one day, and his fame is just spreading. He is uh, doing a lot of miracles down by the Sea of Galilee. He comes home. The uh, famous kid comes home. And on Saturday, Shabbat, he goes into the synagogue, and they honor him and say, Would you like to come up and read scripture for us? So he goes into the Torah closet grabs the scroll of Isaiah and rolls the scroll out, right? This guy knew his scriptures. Check this out. Yeshua returning to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, Luke 4, 14-21. Yeshua returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He's famous. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and stood on the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. As was his custom, he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Here you go. You want this one? Handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. It's Isaiah 61, I believe. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news. Gospel to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. He's doing this. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you know what he stopped just short of? If you read Isaiah 61, he says, I come to declare the favorable year of the Lord. Do you know what the next words say? And the day of the vengeance of our God, the favorable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. He doesn't mention the day of the vengeance of our God. He reads, stops, rolls it up, and in that comma, 2,000 years have been waiting. We live in the age of the favorable year of the Lord. We live in the age of God's patience and God's mercy. We live in an age of grace, of unmerited favor. This is the age in which you and I live in. But the day of the vengeance of our God is coming. How long can this guy wait? How long will God Okay, people? You know, it's really fun. It's an interesting thing to do a ride-along on a Friday night in this city. I just want to tell you, Irvine. To see the domestic violence at 3 o'clock in the morning while the little babies are crying in their cribs while mom and dad are, are are doing heroin or shooting up stuff and they're fighting and beating each other up. The, the unrighteousness, even in this city, is just sickening. And I see a little bit of it. God bless any police officer, by the way. on, on uh, we're, we're, we're doing a thing on the 20th called Civil Servant Sunday and we're just going to honor police officers. I'm so tired of... How, how we treat the, specifically law enforcement. Who wants to do this job? 50 shootings in 55 days in Santa Ana. Anyone live in Santa Ana? 50 shootings in 55 days. They have like openings for 60 some police officers and no one wants to do it. Would you? These people all have images in their head that they can never get out of their head of little babies sitting at the bottom of pools that they have to go fish out. This is what these people do for a living, to serve you. When you call 911, they're coming. And they're not perfect. There's good cops and there's bad ones. Did you read about the poor lady last uh, Sunday, her first day on the job? She's killed in Virginia. Do you all hear about that one? Her first day. Who, who wants to do this? God bless these people for what they do. They see terrible things. What does the eyes of the Almighty see? Every day in this world think about it what does he see the murder of unborn children in the mother's wombs does he see that think about it God sees this and he does nothing he's never coming back yes he is well, why hasn't he? He's really patient. He's an incredibly patient being. Because he wants the redemption of humanity. His son hung on a cross. Not because he was bored. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Someday, God's just going to say, I'm just done. Just like Jesus Yeshua flipping tables over. I'm done. Just like the Lord gone. Uh, Noah build a boat. I'm done. Here's a great one. Sodom and Gomorrah is a nice little place down by the Dead Sea. We read in Genesis that God comes and visits Abraham. Right. Abraham's chosen, so a theophany happens. It's what we theologians call a theophany. A theophany happens. The Lord God Almighty shows up with two angels. He says, "Isaac, uh, he says, you're going to have a son next year, Isaac. The line of the Messiah is coming, and it's going to be through the physical line of Abraham." So, if you take a little peek over there, you'll see in Genesis God's promise to Abraham. And through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Through Yeshua, as Larry says, uh, the Messiah is not just for me, it's for you Gentiles too. I love that. Salvation comes from the Jews. It's a promise through Abraham. Abraham is promised a son in his old age, and through the son, the Messiah will come. It's the great, 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 great grandfather of the Messiah, right? So that's nice. When Genesis eighteen says, When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walking along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Question mark. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him, that's through the Messiah. For I have chosen him, God says, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down... And see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, God says, I'll know. And at that time, the bodyguards of the Almighty headed toward Sodom and Gomorrah, the Theophany God Himself there with Abraham. What was Abraham thinking? The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Question mark. Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. Can you imagine here Abraham preaching to God? It's kind of funny, isn't it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked treating the righteous and the wicked alike Far be it will not the will not the judge of all the earth do right isn't that a great question will not the judge of the earth do right isn't that a beautiful question will not the judge of the earth do right do you trust god in being a judge? Do you think he'll do a good job? Can I ask you that? Quiet up. Do you think God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, do you think that God is a good judge? Do you think he'd, he'd do a good job? See, Abraham has a little bit of anxiety, doesn't he? Abraham is saying, you're going where? You're going over there, really? Have you heard what's going on over there? Do you think Abraham knew what's going on over there? Hey, Lord, what if there are 50 righteous? Will you save the place? Sounds like he totally knows what's happening in that place, right? If you read the text, Abraham goes 50, then he goes down to 40, then 30, then 20, then 10. Where is the dividing? You know what he's doing? He's basically saying, on your scales, what tips your scale between your patience and your righteous judgment? 50? 40? 30? Okay, how about about, about 20? He's he's trying to figure out what I'd love to know, to be straight up. When God's on this teeter totter between His patience and His righteous judgment, what tips Him? What pushes Him over? Where's the dividing line of holding God back? It's a great question when you think about it. They got down to ten, and and y'all know what happens, right? Do you guys know the story? Angels go into Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And they try to rape the angels. The young and the old men come up to these young guys. They didn't know they were angelic beings. And they try to rape these guys. Socially acceptable militant homosexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah. Socially acceptable militant homosexuality Homosexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels. They try to rape him. And God does what? What happens to his little teeter totter? He fries the place. Doesn't he? Hey, Lot, get your family where you're out of here now. God's hammer in this place. Judgment comes. Here it comes. His patience ran thin. Webster's Dictionary says this. What is patience? The ability to wait for a long time without becoming annoyed or upset. The ability to remain calm and not become annoyed when dealing with problems or with difficult people. How are you? Are you a patient person? Is God a patient person? Does God get high marks? People, he's more patient than you and I, than all of us combined. But I want to tell you this morning, his patience has run thin in the past. You can see it in the Old Testament. You can see it with the life of Yeshua himself. And I just want to share this with you a day cometh when his patience is going to run thin again and when it happens run if his patience ran out tomorrow would you be ready? if Yeshua came back tomorrow would you be ready? ready? When the Lord God Almighty sees you, what does he see? Have you accepted his son? Does he see you in righteousness? Or does he see you in unrighteousness? The only reason why (laughs) there's a lady in our congregation it's been great. Had a Muslim man come. Because we did a series. We're doing the series, right? So they invited this man to come. Lady in our congregation. Hey, we're, we're doing a series on comparative religions. Oh, I'd like to study that. Great. <clears throat> he came the first week. And we talked about the gospel itself. He says, oh, I'm starting to understand what you Christians believe. Did us the next week. Islam. What's the difference between the New Testament gospel? Remember, the gospel is God in his love, mercy, and grace. God comes and does all the work, comes to you. It's different. Islam. Yeshua is just a prophet. He's not the son of God. He didn't die on the cross for your sins. You're all still in your sins. And so, and actually it says in the Quran that you all have scales and God will measure your goodness or what have you based on your scales. And the only thing you can do good to make God hopefully like you, is do the five pillars of Islam. You guys got this, right? So if you're a good Muslim and you do the five pillars of Islam, hopefully when you die, your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds, and maybe God will let you in. So this man comes. Here's the message. Out in the courtyard, right out there in the foyer after the service, I was talking with him and five other Muslim people for, for an hour after the service. It was great. Two, two of them would become believers in Yeshua, and three were searching. Wonderful, Right? There's this this lady, I won't tell you her name, she's coming, and she's a Muslim. And she's been coming and hanging out with our congregation. Guys, on Sunday mornings, we have people from 23 different countries in this place. If you notice, the city of Irvine is just an international city. It's awesome. People are coming and hearing the gospel. I don't need to be a missionary going there. They're here. It's awesome, right? This, This young lady from Iran is come and she's in our congregation she's been coming for about a year last fall she says pastor frank i've quit praying to allah and i'm now praying to yeshua right right i said she goes but watch this she says but i'm still a muslim and i said i welcome your spiritual journey okay you're on your spiritual journey so we are now in this series right and what's so amazing about this young lady is she's in our growth groups so we talk about the sermon and growth groups um 171 people talking about what I'm teaching on Sundays. And she goes to one of these groups. And she's not happy in her growth group on Tuesday night. Because I said that good people don't go to heaven, only perfect people do. And she was mad at me for that. And then she began defending Islam in her growth group. So the whole growth group, like 14 people versus her. And she was not pleased. And just so happens that I go visit all these groups and I was that group the next week. And the leader says, I don't know if she's going to come back. I think she was kind of upset. And she walked in the door. And guess who sits next to her during the discussion? <laughs> Do you think she felt like the principal's come to sit next to her? You know, i asked her now and, she, and she's quiet. And finally, afterwards when it's over, she, her and I had this long talk. I said, you've been praying to Yeshua, right? But you've been praying to the Yeshua of the Quran, haven't you? And she said yes. Yeshua is mentioned 91 times in the Quran. He's a prophet. Didn't die on the cross. Prophet. And I was telling this lady because now she's meeting the true Yeshua, right? the third person of the triunity of the Godhead, and she is just on this journey. And I was telling this woman, I said, you know, you're in a really bad place right now. And she goes, well, what do you mean? I go, are you a good Muslim? I said, have you ever read the Quran? She goes, I, had, I was in, raised in Iran. They teach us to read Arabic because you're only allowed to read the Quran in Arabic. And so I tried to read Arabic, and I never, I go, so how's your Arabic? She goes, terrible. I go, have you ever read the Quran? She goes, I read it once in Farsi. That's her native language, okay? I said, are you a good Muslim? And she looks at me because she's not. She's not doing any of the five pillars of Islam. I said, you're in a really tough place right now because if you embrace Islam, you're in trouble because the scales say that you aren't going to heaven. Am I right? And she nodded her head. I go, you believe from the Quran that Yeshua is a prophet. She goes, yes. And I I go, and right now as you sit, you're not in good standing with Allah, are you? And she nods her head, no. And I go, I've got great news for you. Yeshua is the second person, the triunity of the Godhead. He is God in human flesh who came to earth. God came to you. And it's not your works. It's his. He came. I got great news for you. He came and died on a cross for all your sins. And friends, all means all. And that's all that all means. Right? <laughs> This is good news. It's really good news. And I told this young lady, I said, you've got to understand that God jumps on your scales and flips it in your favor for what Christ has done on the cross, right? I go, I got great news. I didn't even let her answer, because here she is in this state of confusion, who trying to figure out who Yeshua is, who I've, I'm no longer praying to Allah, I'm now praying to Jesus, right? But what Jesus? That one or this one? He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. It is the greatest transaction that will ever take place. I only hear one amen. Do I hear any more? Amen. This is really good. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 He has reconciled us to the Father. And our sins will never be counted against us. Do you like that? I love it. I absolutely love it. My sins will never be counted against me. Ever. Someday I'm going to be in a coffin... And people are going to be at my funeral service and looking at me. I pray, they look and they go, see him right there? Not one of his sins will be counted against him because of what Yeshua had done for him on the cross. He's in heaven, not based on his righteousness, but on the righteousness of the one who died for him. Do you understand? This is called the good news. It's called the gospel. And you know what? God is patient for people to accept and receive his son. The only reason why he hasn't come back today and judged this place is because people are still coming. I want to ask you, where do you stand with God? Have you accepted his son? You need to. Because your works will never get you there. If they could, he wouldn't have come. Do you understand? It's the gospel. He's patient not wanting any to perish, but to all to come to what? Repentance. It's the gospel. Peter says, but you got to know, his day will come. His coming is coming, and y'all need to be ready. And if you're here today and your sins are still counted against you, and you haven't received what Christ has done on the cross for you, what Messiah has done for you. If you're planning on just, oh, I'm just going to write it on my own and hopefully I'm good enough to get in, you're not. He's so holy that he can't even hang out with you. You offend him in word, action, thought, and deed. He's holy, but he loves you. And he came for you to reconcile you to him. Friends, if your kids brought home today a really sick, dirty dog that has like pus coming out of its skin, would you let that dog in your house? Wouldn't you clean it up first? That's what God has done with you. Just as you have that common sense, God isn't letting you in his house. Disgusting. Because you offend him in it. It's just sick. Christ came and washed you clean. And now you can come in. And if you think, well, I'm just coming in anyway, then you got another thing coming. Make sense? Lord God Almighty, we come before you this morning. We've left our homes to come to this house, right? We've left our homes to come to this assembly, this gathering, Lord. We come, Lord, as seekers. We come, Lord, as those who wish to understand the Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of the prophets, the God who emptied himself, took the form of a bond servant, and walked among us, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We've come, Lord, to understand the one who went to Jerusalem and hung. The one who was flogged, the one who was scourged, the one who was mocked. By his stripes we are healed. The one who has reconciled us to God Thank you, Lord, for the peace that we have with you through Yeshua, the Messiah. And Lord, if there be anyone in this place that is yet to understand the total magnitude of the gospel, if there's anybody in here, Lord, that's on the fringe of faith, I pray, Lord God, that by your love, you just push them over into your loving arms. That they would receive the forgiveness The cleansing, the re- the regeneration through Yeshua Messiah. Lord, we who have received this good news celebrate it again this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can just be at peace with you. We can be at peace with us. Our emptiness, our loneliness, our shame and our guilt, our fear of death is washed away through the person of Yeshua. And we just rest in you, Lord, and praise you for this glorious day.